0: Ms. Dana. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for your patience there for a second. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tom was preaching and he quoted the former president of Regent College who said, sometimes the most radical thing you can do is live a normal Christian life. And then Tom went on to say, you know, it is a profound thing to get up in the morning and thank God for the day, and then love the people around you, whoever they are, and do your work with patience and diligence. It's not small. And so today we're going to start a series that's called Extraordinary Lives, because an ordinary Christian life sounds simple, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's harder than we think. It's harder than we think. To be content with the home and the car that we have. To love one spouse and be faithful to them your whole life. To do careful, good work every time. To bill honestly. To take responsibility for your mistakes. Treat people with respect and compassion, even if they don't deserve it. Right? submit to those in authority to be patient with children to control your temper to speak up for those who are mistreated to be generous with your money to be a good friend it's harder than it seems well i was studying the book of daniel with a group of uh medical students once and um Daniel is such an interesting book because they start out, like the scripture literally describes Daniel and his group of friends as being young, intelligent, and good-looking. That's how they picked this group of young men who they were going to take into the king's palace and train them to work in the palace of Babylon when Babylon um, took over Judah, took them captive. So Daniel is among those guys. And he... Uh, eventually does some really amazing things, like eventually he ends up interpreting dreams for the king and he survives being thrown into this fire to be burnt alive like that 's pretty remarkable to survive that, but at the beginning he 's not doing extreme things they 're pretty unremarkable. The first thing that happens is that the king offers him food and he refuses it because the food doesn't match the dietary laws of his people. And then a little while later, he continues to pray to God every day, even when the king of Babylon makes that illegal. So all that Daniel does is say, no, I'm not going to eat that food. And then, you know, i 'm going to keep praying, even if it's risky, and God honors him for those really small choices so anyway i'm leading this Bible study for medical students and i am, and I ask them, can you guys imagine any kinds of situations arising in your future careers where you'll have to decide? to say no to something because you're following God, like because of your faith. And that question really resonates with medical students because they're all about to be doctors, right? Like every single one of them within a few months or years is going to have to decide whether or not they would perform abortions, whether or not they would participate in medically assisted dying. Those are really live questions, and there are no simple answers whether you're a believer or not. So it really resonated with those students. And there was a young doctor who was part of the group, and he found this conversation completely infuriating. Just, he was absolutely livid. And I didn't realize, but he pulled me aside afterwards, and he's like, you have to stop telling these students that they have to, that they have to, take these things seriously you have to stop asking these questions stop expecting them to do something just because of their faith if it means going against their bosses i was like okay buddy like (laughs) calm down but he was really mad he's like you can't expect people to live up to what's written in scripture he says daniel daniel is like a hero scripture those are heroes of the faith and you can't expect everybody to be a hero of the faith there were tons of just ordinary israelites who ate the food and stopped praying and those were good people too and we're just ordinary people he was like really really mad at me it might have been about him um he was super upset that I would suggest to all of these students that a normal Christian life involved actually obeying God and not just doing whatever everybody else did. Now, I mean, I think that he was mistaken, obviously, but that incident, wow, it really helped me understand something. It really helped me understand how hard it can be to live out what we say we believe. Sometimes it seems impossible and unrealistic when we're faced with a real-life opportunity to fully submit our lives to Jesus. An ordinary Christian life takes an enormous amount of patience and courage and incredible self-control. It's harder than we think. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to consider this idea of an ordinary life, and we're going to use the book of James because James was written specifically for that. He just writes to ordinary Christians who are living their normal lives. And we're going to try something a little bit different. I bought this new furniture for us. Isn't this nice? And uh, every week I'll be inviting some people from the congregation. You'll know in advance. It's not like a like a random draw. Everybody can keep breathing. Um, but they're going to come and join me up here and share their stories with you. Uh, and these people, they would all stress this point. These are not saints. They're not perfect people. In fact, some of them were like, I'm not sure. Do you really want me because I don't think you understand how unperfect my life really is? I do want you because we need to know about ordinary people living their ordinary lives, doing their best to be faithful to God, even when it's hard. I think it is important that we hear from each other. It's important that we know that we're not alone when it feels hard that other people are trying to live faithful lives too. Sometimes they're getting it right, and sometimes they're missing the mark, but mostly they're trying, and God is meeting them, and there's good fruit from that. So before we get today's guest up here, we're going to look at the book of James. James, uh, who wrote this letter, is the brother of Jesus, and he was leading the church in Jerusalem for a number of years. And the letters put together, not for a particular congregation at a particular moment, like lots of Paul's letters, but it's more just kind of a collection of sayings or like little bits of wisdom for the church in general as it was scattered out from Jerusalem. And the whole church is about 20 years old. So, I always think that's funny, right? Imagine that young of a church, but the whole movement is about twenty years old, and they're starting to face some persecution, not necessarily the um, the the threat of imprisonment or martyrdom like death, but that kind of persecution, this sort of low grade stuff it like there was some some social rejection, like people didn't want to hang out with them because they were Christians now, or economic boycott. There were people who wouldn't do business with, uh, with followers of Jesus. And so these pretty regular people begin to feel the pressure of this life 20 years out, and they're struggling. And Some of them are struggling to the point where they're just rejecting their faith and going back to, to a, a normal life. And others, man, they're really working hard, struggling to pull together and encourage one another and help each other be faithful. And so James writes this letter as an encouragement, a way to call the believers to stay strong and walk their talk. And today we're going to talk about what happens when our faith is tested. So this is from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. And it's uh, the New Revised Standard Version. So it says, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay. Okay. This verse right here might be one of the easiest things in the Christian life to say and the hardest one of the hardest things to actually do, isn't it? Because I don't know about you. Whenever you face trials, consider it nothing but joy. When was the last time you just thought, "Woohoo, a trial." I don't know. Like I have trials and this is not the first thing that pops into my head. In fact, I think usually what we do is we have a trial and we think, Something is terribly wrong. And we, start, we go to any lengths to like stop that thing or get away from it or at the very least forget about it for a little while, right? Like we get on our phones or Netflix binge or whatever your personal vice is just to kind of close the door, like, like shut out that trial for a little, a little bit. But James tells us Trials produce endurance. Some versions say perseverance, and some say patience. I love patience. I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, My best friend Susanna uh, was. This was several years ago. She was part of a team at church uh, with a man named Sos Peter from Kenya, and um, they had become quite good friends. And they were having breakfast one day, and Sos Peter brought his very young son with him to the diner for breakfast and the you know as the adults are chatting this little boy is fidgeting and he's squirming you know because student retreats and missionary budgets which is what susanna was talking about there is no way for that to be interesting to a small child and he hadn't brought any toys with him and eventually the fidgeting got so bad that sus so peter reached his hand over and put it on his son's leg to help him uh, stop. And the boy sighed, "Ah!" he leaned over, when are we going home? And so Peter put his arm around his son and he said, not yet. What we are doing here is very important. I am talking to your Auntie Susanna and you, my son, are learning patience. Isn't that beautiful? Like really funny, right? But but also so beautiful because having made it through that boring breakfast, that boy was going to be more capable of waiting patiently the next time. And the same is true for us. When we hang on through trials, we increase our capacity to endure. And remember, James isn't talking about the threat of death or imprisonment. He's talking about regular stuff, stuff we all face. People making fun of you because you won't join in the catcalling at lunch hour. Or calling you out in class because you have questions about evolution. Or taking their business somewhere else because you won't cut corners and save them money. Normal stuff. Stuff that should be easy, but for some reason it's not. We face those things. And as we face them, they build endurance in us. And James encourages us to let endurance have its full effect, do its full work, so that we can be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Have you considered that? That trials produce endurance and then just, just the fact of enduring, just hanging on through the dark season, just staying faithful while you wait, that will bring maturity. Romans 5 says a very similar thing, but Paul is um wordy. And so he uses a slightly longer chain. He says that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope will not disappoint. We all know people who seem to unravel at the first sign of suffering. We might be those people, you know, I'm not judging, but um, we also know people who seem very grounded very stable, people who seem to be able to weather whatever comes their way with perspective, with humor even, with hope, with maturity. And it turns out that maturity, that literally comes from having endured trials and suffering before. If you've been praying for maturity, that's a good prayer. But don't be surprised if what you find is some suffering. You know, it's not that God is vindictive, right? It's not like you pray for maturity and God's like, I'll get you. He's not like that. But he knows what James articulates, that suffering will produce endurance and endurance will bring maturity. We need trials to shape us. That's how we grow not that they're easy or that we enjoy them but we can be confident that in God's hands they will produce fruit in us now for the sake of full disclosure I want to say that this text in James when James is writing about trials it's quite clear that he's not talking about sickness there's a different word in the original language for sickness that's not the word he's using But the truth is, in our lives, sickness is one of the most common trials that we face, isn't it? At some point, every single one of us has been or will be sick in a way that kind of takes us out of life for a little while. And how we deal with that has a profound opportunity to shape our spirits in a deep and lasting way. And so I've asked two members of our congregation to come and share with us this morning so they're going to make their way up here. It's their second time, so they're excellent at it now. Um, Both of these women have experienced some health issues that have shaped them and I think have produced uh, endurance and maturity, and I want you to be able to hear their stories. I know, it's (laughs) endurance and maturity. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to find you some microphones. Here they are. There you go. Eileen, there's yours. You're welcome. Uh, so, I would like to introduce you to uh, Val Comer and Eileen Fitzpatrick. Um, Val and Eileen have very graciously agreed to be the first people who I would interview. Sometimes in school you get like bonus points for that, right? For being the first person who's willing to go. So thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know that you guys have both experienced some health issues in your lives, uh, and that that has shaped your faith journey. So would you tell us your story?
1: My name. My name is Valerie Comer, and. I'm too young to die. That was my thought on October 27 as I lay on a stretcher in the Creston ER having a heart attack. I had unexplained health episodes in 2010 and again in 2015, events that literally knocked my feet out from under me, um, challenged my ability to breathe and function and took months in each case to recuperate from. Electrocardiograms both times revealed nothing wrong with my heart. So doctors moved on to other tests, but nothing showed up. The first time my blood pressure was fine, by the second time it had skyrocketed, and I was put on medication. Other than that, and a family history of high cholesterol, I had no real indicators of heart disease. Sure, I'd put on a few pounds as I grew older, but nothing too extreme. So the heart attack was a shock. But I have so much to be thankful for. You all know that my husband works in Elkford, so he's gone four days out of eight. He was home. I'd been whining, literally whining, for a few days about not feeling that great. But I was pushing myself to wrap up to-do lists since we were going on vacation in a couple of weeks. I had a book to finish writing, Fall yard work to do, plus finalizing the last few details for our trip. All that came to an abrupt halt when Jim took me up to the ER with chest pain and a bottomed-out blood pressure. There's little that's more sobering than being asked by medical staff if you consent to any means possible to keep you alive. I I just stared back like... Had it really come to this, I was I was dying. Long story short, it was a near thing for a while. Creston stabilized me and sent me to Cranbrook for a CT scan. I spent the night in the ER there. In the morning, I was airlifted to Kelowna, where I spent four days in the cardiac ICU. They did an angiogram and inserted two stents into my heart. A few days later, I was released. Jim took a few weeks off work because, hello, he had vacation time coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And many of you brought meals. Thank you. I've been on the long road of recovery for the past five months. The physical journey has been paralleled by a spiritual journey and an emotional one. Staring death in the face kind of has a way of affecting a person at all levels.
0: Eileen, you want to tell us a little bit about
2: yourself? <coughs> um, my uh, my experience is a l- little different from Val's. Um, since about the age of seven, I've been dealing with what has added up to be nine different medical conditions, chronic all at the same time. Um, I won't give you the list because we'll be here all day, but um, they basically boil down to metabolic, autoimmune, and neurological issues the practical upshot of which is that I'm c I am completely well not completely blind but legally blind. Um clumsy because of the neurological stuff. I, I can't eat much and I'm what I like to call terminally stubborn. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I I r don't just uh refuse to give in. I I push a little too hard. Um and yeah, like Val says, looking, looking death in the face is really a, a unique experience. Um, and unlike what Val was saying, I didn't just look death in the face and move, move along. I kind of put my arm around death and went, got into bed with it and just sort of do that every day. The, the nature of a chronic mm-hmm. conditions is that they, they don't go away. So um, that is an, an experience in and of itself, too.
0: Yeah. thanks um how would you guys say those experiences have affected your relationship with god
2: for myself uh, when i was younger um i i was really scared a lot of the time and really angry not at all impressed with god and his way of doing things and since then, and and still to this day, I give God a lot of advice about what I think huh. He should be doing versus what actually seems to happen. Um, major turning point for me in my attitude uh, was about <coughs> nine years ago. I had a particularly bad illness. It was a, it's it's typically a childhood disease called fifth disease, kind of like chicken pox or mumps, um, slap cheek they call it, but it attacked. My system in an entirely mm. different way, and I ended up in the hospital um, very, very nearly dead. The doctors had come in and said, You know, there's really nothing else we can do for you. Did, did you want to go home to be comfortable mm. basically while you die? And at that point, um, a friend of the family, a friend of my parents that I, I wasn't too fond of, <laughs> but uh, he, he was a deacon in the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church. He came in to visit me, and he did this often when I was in the hospital. And he would bring pamphlets and things with you know, the, the imagery, mm-hmm. the icons of the Ukrainian Catholic Church. And I would always, every time I saw him coming, I was, oh, here we go. He's going to come in. He's going to try and shove God down my throat. Really don't want to put up with this. I'm a captive audience. I can't even get out of bed. This is so unfair. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. going on here? Um, he came in, and he was talking to me for a while and and had talked about the analogy of the shepherd, the imagery you see of the shepherd in a lot of biblical pictures is um, it's, it's a shepherd with a lamb around its neck and the story behind that is that when lambs would wander too far away from the flock the shepherds would break their legs and then they would carry them until they learned as they healed, they would learn They had to depend on the shepherd to feed them and to give them water so that when they healed, they wouldn't wander too far away from that shepherd again. Mm. And he just kind of left it floating out there. And at that point, I was absolutely livid. Like, how dare you walk in here and say that to me? Like, I'm supposed to, oh, isn't this wonderful? God wants me closer to him. Um, And I lay there really angry Mm. for, for quite a while. And then, after, he he just told that story and walked out. Well, not that abruptly, but um, I went from being absolutely livid to to liberated. I had spent so many years angry and fearful. And at that point, I thought, I could die. Um, I've been told there really isn't anything else. So... You know what? No matter what happens, I think I'm going to be okay. Whether I live or die, I'm going to be okay.
0: Mm.
2: And I wasn't scared anymore, and I wasn't angry anymore. It just went away. And it was like at that moment, I don't have any other way to describe it. I could feel all the prayers that were coming out of the community to me. I had just finished my first round of what's been now 30 um, of Alpha and I knew there were a lot of people praying for me at our church, and I could feel it. And the anger and the fear just went away. Wow. And it it did change my relationship
1: with God from there. Wow. Yeah.
0: How about you, Val?
1: At first, honestly, there was a lot of "Why me?" Look at all those other people out there who weigh twice as much as I do, eat <laughs> junk, and don't take care of themselves. Like, why are they not the ones getting heart attacks? Well, some of them are, I guess. But um, then I found out the stats of how few women actually survive their first heart attack. And of those who do, a significant number are dead within the first year, mm. which I found very sobering. I also met real women in survivor groups on Facebook who were in their 40s, 30s, and yes, even in their 20s, who had survived a heart attack. It's not as unusual as you or I might wish to think. Heart disease is a major killer. I knew that, but now I really know that. With a little distance, my attitude changed from why me to why not me. Why had I been spared when so many die? And then if Paul is right in Philippians chapter one, and I like to argue with Paul. Sure. Uh, he says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain, should I have fought so hard to keep on breathing when there was no air? But God puts that in us, doesn't he? That desire to, to fight, to live. As young people, we tend to ask the question, why am I here? What's the purpose in life? And when you've stared death in the face, you ask that same question again, but with a bit of a twist. Why am I still here? Why did God spare me? Which of the 18,000 things on my color-coded to-do list does he need me to complete? Yeah, not really those. In Philippians 1, Paul goes on to say, If I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But here's the kicker. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul felt he was spared not for his own sake, but for the sake of the churches he'd been sent to plant. And towards the end of Philippians chapter 2, there's another clue when Paul talks about Epaphroditus. And he says, Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So why am I still here? I don't think it's so much about me. I think one of the reasons is for my husband and my kids and my grandkids to spare them sorrow upon sorrow right now. It's because it's because God isn't done using me in their lives, in your lives, as Erickson Covenant Church mm. or in the lives of my readers. The to do list, however, does not matter. It's the people who matter.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Um
0: It seems so strange to try to narrow the experience or funnel it down, but the question that I want to ask you is, do you see a way that that, those experiences have produced endurance in you or produced other kinds of fruit?
1: Paul says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. It's honestly hard not to see a growth in patience when you can do almost nothing for yourself. And you know fighting the situation will only add stress. And stress is a good chunk of what got you in this mess to start with. So there's a lot of let it go. I guess that doesn't keep everyone from bitterness, though. I choose to let it go and look to the future rather than whine about the past. I think a lot of it is a choice, an attitude. We might be unable to change the course of the actual events or illness, but we can definitely choose to be malleable rather than brittle. I choose to focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. On how far I've come rather than on how far I still am from full health. I choose to see beauty around me every day. I choose to be thankful to wake up every morning. And trust me, that is a thankful prayer every day. Yeah. For every moment I can spend with Jim or my kids or my grandkids, for the m- memories we can create together. I choose to live and to love. I choose to give and receive grace. I choose joy.
0: Mm-hmm. How about you, Eileen? Um,
2: <coughs> y- yeah, <laughs> fruits. Um, none of these were fruits I'd have. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> but um yeah. like like, like you're saying in Romans comfort does not build character and grace does have an element of choice um I'm still very human um I have anxiety depression I get frustrated but that deep-rooted anger and the fear have have left me and that that is a tremendous gift that's that's the the fruit of
0: peace yeah, thanks. So then the last question is just, is there anything else that you want to say to us? Um, anything you want to leave us with?
2: Um, I, I don't recommend my approach to anybody. I, my favorite, <laughs> i eternally stubborn, but my favorite quote is from uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption, that uh, get busy living or get busy dying. I would not walk into Crestview and say that to somebody <laughs> it's it 's yeah. not it 's not sensitive but it it is personal it 's personal to me, and yeah. just like everyone 's relationship with God, it should be personal, and your relationship to your trials should be personal and when it is there 's no right or wrong way to do anything, but I think love is the is being loving is the biggest um the most important thing, the biggest thing.
0: Thanks.
1: To those who are on the prayer chain, to those in leadership here, to all of you, thank you. Thank you for the meal train. It helped immensely. But most of all, thank you for praying. You know, we talk about how we lift up people in prayer to God, right? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I felt that literally. Mm. I felt as though my mattress in that hospital bed was just made up of hundreds and thousands of fingertips. The ultimate tempur mattress <laughs> literally holding me up in prayer to God. So thank you for praying.
0: Thank you for sharing. with us. I, I'm going to pray for these women. Would you join me? Jesus, we don't take for granted the fact that these two women are sitting with us this morning, especially when we hear their stories. Um, And so we thank you and bless you for their lives, for the the fruit that you are producing in them, for the, the work that you have for them to do still. We ask you to continue to bring peace and patience and joy in them to continue to heal their bodies and to continue to be clear about what is the important work for them in this season. Would you encourage them as they go, and would you encourage us as we receive the gift of their story? We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you. That was great. Awesome.
1: Beautiful.
0: Hey, okay. isn't that great? Um, I want you to know that one of the most consistent experiences that I've had since I became a pastor is of being completely overwhelmed by the sacredness of an individual person's story. Every time I get the chance to sit with one of you and you start telling me, know the real story, like the things that really happened to you, the way that you've been shaped, I feel like I'm standing on holy ground. Because we don't always know, do we? When we say hi to someone at coffee hour, we sit next to them in a meeting, we don't always know that that person has walked an incredible path toward faith, that they've met God in deep ways in very difficult times so Val, Eileen, thank you so much for being willing to share and for being the first ones <laughs> who were willing to share your stories with us. You've encouraged us to let trials produce endurance in our own hearts. Um, we're going to close today a little bit different than, uh, than normal. I like to keep things interesting for you. Um, I'm going to play a song for you to listen to. This is called I've Made Mistakes by a group, uh, the oh hellos uh, and the chorus of this song says the sun it does not cause us to grow it is the rain that will make you whole and it's talking about the way that um, that trials produce endurance and maturity in our lives so we're going to listen to this and um, the idea is for, for us to each have a few minutes of self-reflection And so while that's happening, I'd like you to consider these questions. What are the trials that you've been through? And what did you learn about yourself through those times? And then how did that produce endurance or maturity? Okay. So the song is gonna play, we have about three minutes for that. At the end of his letter, James writes these words. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives both the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Trials are not always joyful, and I never want to trivialize suffering or ask anyone to pretend that something's not painful. But scripture does tell us that trials produce endurance, and that when endurance has its full effect, we will be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And that actually sounds pretty good. So as we journey together through the trials, maybe we can rejoice in that. That this walk is how, this is how our ordinary Christian lives become somehow sacred, become even extraordinary. If you would stand, I'd love to pray for you. Father, I am so grateful for these people and all of the individual stories, all of the individual lives lived with you. I pray that you would strengthen them in their hearts through your spirit, that you would bless them with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places so that they could endure the trials that are before them, so that they could Walk faithfully through them. I pray that that would produce a harvest of endurance and completeness and maturity among us as believers. Would you make us people who bear your fruit? We pray those things in your name, trusting you to see it come true. Amen.